The Being an Engineer podcast is a repository for industry knowledge and a tool through which engineers learn about and connect with relevant companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. Enjoy the show. But labor of love is always what's behind a lot of these things. I'm fortunate to have a job doing what I like. You know, if everybody could be so fortunate, you wouldn't work a day in your life. And, you know, the job can be stressful and there's pressure at times to get things done. But these are the things that I do when the clock's off. So why not get paid for it as well, you know? Hello and welcome to the Being an Engineer podcast. Our guest today is Darren Grosser, who has been an application engineer supporting SolidWorks customers across the U.S. his entire career. He loves being involved in the many unique and amazing ways that designers, engineers, students, and entrepreneurs go from concept to reality using SolidWorks tools. And he has a particularly soft spot in his heart for 3D printing. So Darren, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. So tell me about uh, how you decided to become an engineer. And then on top of that, if um, from what I can tell, you graduated and then really jumped straight into the, uh, the, the, the application engineer, kind of the, the SolidWorks support role and, and how that transition happened. And if you've ever considered, you know, industry. Well, you know, it- there are a few points in your life that you can kind of go back on that were turning points. And it's definitely one of those moments. Um, I'm the third of three brothers. So I have an older brother that's about 10 years older than me and uh, a middle brother. They're about seven years older than me. My oldest brother went to Western Michigan University and uh, from there went to Ford Motor Company. So while I was in high school still, he was at Ford and uh, me with really out of direction, kind of some interests, but you know, when you're in high school, you have way different interests than you do now. Yes. And, uh, you know, one, one Wednesday I took a day off and, and tagged around with him at Ford. And uh, this was 1989. And we saw some things that even today's standards are, are still pretty amazing. Mainframe computers, the phosphorus pen, light pen screens that they used to use, PDGS. Um, you know, he showed me the things that were high technology in 89. And uh, we ended the day going across the street because they just got a brand new machine, something cool I haven't seen yet. And it happened to be a 3D systems SLA machine, um, stereolithography. And looking into the machine running, all I saw was liquid and a little red laser zipped over top of it. And then all of a sudden, this uh, engine connecting rod lifted up out of the liquid. And that moment was like, okay, this is a real Star Trek moment. Um, <laughs> it it kind of was the point where I was like, okay, I'm taking drafting classes now. This is what this leads to. This is the direction. This is it. So... And 1989 too. Printers have been around a lot longer than people know. You know, yes, it, it's mainstream yes. now, but Amazon makes them mainstream now. They, they've been around for a long time. Yeah, it's incredible to think about that. 1989. I mean, that yeah. was over 30 years ago, and yeah. uh, and they were using them back then. I'm, yeah. I'm sure the technology wasn't quite as good, but it was good enough to be useful. <laughs> Expensive quality was always good. Um, those parts were brittle by nature, but you know they've they've you know, figured out ways to ultraviolently treat those to make them more rigid. And, and just, you know, we have hundreds of materials and, and hundreds of, of methods now. So, I mean, it really yeah. is, is just one of those technologies that once a few people get going and ideas start to flourish, then it just blows up. Well, I also love that you um, spent some time actually on the job, not yourself on the job, but with your brother at his job, seeing yeah. what he actually does. You know, yeah. that, that's I think that's um, an opportunity that maybe we don't all think about, I know I didn't think about it when I was in high school, but for those proactive high school students out there thinking about what they might like to do, I think that's a a tremendous um, uh, option to explore is just finding someone, maybe you don't have a a brother that works at Ford, but surely you know someone who's who's in the space and you can ask them, can I come to work with you for half a day and just tag around and see what you do? Well, we used to have student groups come through our office often and, you know, we'd show them the 3D print lab and things like that. And you get two or three that are interested and some of the rest of them, it's a throwaway day. And who cares? It could be a throwaway day, but it could be the turning point. You never know. So expose yourself to it. You know, who knows? Uh, One of the one of the most useful tools I have found as um, I don't know, just a, a human, certainly as a business owner and as an engineer, but just in life in general 
is finding ways to expose myself to new ideas. You know, it's so easy to, especially as an engineer, uh, a lot of us are kind of introverts, but close the door, sit in your office and just do your thing. Um, and you're probably not going to experience tremendous growth doing yeah. that. But if you can expose, if you can find, you know, systems that expose yourself on a recurring basis to new ideas, that I think that's a great um, path that leads to growth. I have to say that kids were a rebirth for me on that. Mm. Um, because as an engineer, you have solved your problems and you've kind of narrowed down the scope of, scope of when uh, something comes up, you kind of like know what you got to do. But then your kid comes in and they've never done this and they start to do other things. And I found myself early on saying, no, 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 you got to do it this way because this is how it's going to turn out. And, and then I stepped back and went, you know what? I'm just going to watch this and see what happens. Because yeah. one time my youngest daughter did something. I was just like, whoa, I really never thought of doing it that way. And I never would have because <laughs> I've already ruled all of the things out. So you, you really got to open that perspective up because you just never know, you know? Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And kids, I talk about a system for, uh, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Exposing yourself to new ideas. Kids are a great system for that, right? Like they're going to be in your face all the time asking questions and doing things. And there's, yeah. there's no escaping exposure to new ideas when kids are around. I signed up for TikTok yesterday and that never would have happened if it wasn't for a 13 year old. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. So, but I ended up going to, to the same school as my brother as a result of that. So I went to Western Michigan university for the same degree, um, going for the same thing. And oddly enough, I, I had a guaranteed job um, waiting for me at Ford when I graduated and, you know, timing is everything. And the month I graduated, December of 1996, um, Ford had a hiring freeze. It just didn't work out. Timing was bad. So went and delivered pizzas for a couple of months for my wife who ran a Hungry Howie's franchise at 17. She was, you know, up to 20 at that point. But um, really kind of found this job by accident because um, my middle brother saw a job posting. You know, back then um, you'd see him through the newspaper. And he saw a job posting of a place that was just on the road of where he was working at the time. And he gave me a phone number on a sub bag that I didn't call for three weeks. Um, ended up finally calling that and took the interview and offered a job on the spot. Worst interview I've ever had. Worst performance <laughs> ever. But I was offered a job here and I took it reluctantly. And that, that's now coming up here on 24 years ago. Wow. So, and that was, I mean, back in the kind of the infancy of CAD, right? With 96. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, 19, uh, SolidWorks came out in 1995, so did Windows 95, which is really where it went from Windows 3.1, just an interface, um, to something that actually had graphics worth a darn. Yeah. Now, now, what was a crazy part of my interview is that I was going to a place that, um, that used AutoCAD, which everybody knew at the time, but he also said, and we also represent a Windows-based CAD system called SolidWorks. Well, I had just come from Western Michigan University, and we were using... Uh, SGI and Sun Spark stations, um, 16 megs of RAM back then. That was a huge machine. Big deal. And we were using SDRC ideas. And if we had a model shaded, we couldn't rotate it. We had to go to wireframe mm. and rotate it, or it would rotate wireframe and then it would refresh. So when I heard of a Windows-based CAD system on this Pentium 75 computer, I wasn't impressed. Um, 20 seconds later, when a sketch extruded and it rotated around shaded, it, it was kind of on from there, you know? Another Star Trek moment. Yeah, it, it was the infancy, but, you know, SolidWorks could barely do drawings at that point. Um, but 3D parts and assemblies and rotating shaded models, that, that was enough to tell me that it was something big. I need to go on YouTube and see if I can find a video of SolidWorks 1996 or 1995, the yeah, first man. one. I would love to just see what that looked like back then. A buddy of mine at a different reseller um, in the Wisconsin area has a uh, Windows 95 laptop that he has SolidWorks 95 running on that he always really? at, at different trade shows and sessions and stuff so people can walk up and see what it looked like. What a great idea. Um, I've got no CD somewhere because it used to come on a CD, by the way, too. Um, you know, so different, different times, but, different uh, times. Yeah. It, it, the, the evolutions are, are amazing. They really are. Um, you know, we have a, a product that's gone from what it was to now something that's roughly 20 million lines of code just for the CAD product. And wow. it's just insane. That's incredible. Um, and getting to learn it piecemeal over this time is, is a benefit because swallowing it whole right now is oh, done. Yeah. It's easy, but there's just so much to it yep. um, that it's vast. 
Big program. Yeah. Well, you've um, entered and won a few times the Model Mania SolidWorks competition, which I, I didn't even know existed, to be honest, until yeah. I was researching for this interview. What what can you tell us about the competition and about your winning entries? Well, internal to the SolidWorks community, um, we have a very passionate community. So we have 6 million users, but there's also almost 300 user groups around the country, uh, all of us itching to get back together face-to-face and eat some pizza these days. Um, but internal to the SolidWorks World Conference, which is a yearly event that's uh, held around the United States, but it's uh, it's coming up here virtually uh, in February, is um, is just a friendly competition in the Partner Pavilion. And Partner Pavilions are just you know the trade shore partners um, set up, so you can go and see uh, demonstrations of their products. But what it is, it's a timed competition. You step into a booth, you've got twenty minutes clock ticking significantly ups the stress. It's a weird thing, but physiologically, when you see the clock ticking, it's just a whole different deal. Um, they give you a drawing, you draw the part. Now, then you say, I'm done with phase one. They give you a drawing with changes. And based on how well your design intent was, uh, sometimes how well you guessed um, our, our, uh, our uh, um, proctor of this over the last 20 years, you start to learn his tendencies. Uh, Mark Schneider, <laughs> um, guess what he likes to put into the product. Then you have to uh, implement your changes. And sometimes that goes well, and sometimes it goes horribly wrong. And... Um, the end product is, and this is with any CAD system, is that you will have a hundred engineers, top of the world class engineers from the resellers out there going after each other. And if you put a hundred part files on the screen, you'd see a hundred different feature histories. Mm. And it just exemplifies the fact that there is no one right way. There are yeah. other ways and there are, um, you know, ways that are harder, but just as solid. It, it's just, it really is. It shows the difference between a skilled user and a power user in, yeah. in, in their effectiveness to de you know, deconstruct a part quickly, um, but also have a, a very good design intent so that changes aren't going to blow up a part tree. Yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing. I, I've talked about before on the podcast, I think that uh, there's some really cool engineering principles like the um, uh, area moment of inertia where you, you take a beam that's oriented one way and it's, you know, soft and flexible and you rotate it 90 degrees and all, all of a sudden it's really firm and really yeah. difficult to de- deflect. And the, the future tree in SolidWorks is, is kind of analogous, right? There are different ways to, you know, quote unquote, orient that, that feature tree or, or sure. build that feature tree out. Some of which are going to be really robust and make, uh, make it easy to make changes. And others are going to be just r- really, really challenging, even yeah. though the solid model that you end up with might look the exact same. Exactly. So really interesting how um, you can get to the same point with a lot of different, you know, uh, roads and, and some of which are just a lot better than others. Yeah. At the end of the day, they, they figure out who won by kind of working backwards. Um, mass properties have to match. doesn't matter where the origin is, just mass properties. And then from there, we kind of go backwards because at the end of the, the competition, you also have to run a small simulation. So a static you know, study of some sort. And then that gives you a safety factor. And that's ultimately the, uh, the answer. Um, but yeah, it started in, in 2000, uh, in new Orleans at SolidWorks world. And I was just a 20, you know, 24 year old snot nosed kid at the point at that time. But, um, you know, it, it was something that was interesting and has grown over the years in momentum, um, that now we do it between the resellers work against each other. The customers are in their own competition separate, um, the customers are usually faster than the resellers because they're banging on the software eight hours a day and we're supporting people's other efforts usually. Yeah. So it's amazing that the professionals, um, although we're very knowledgeable, we're not quite as speedy because of day-to-day stick time. Sure. Um, the, the customers are fabulous. So it, it's pretty intimidating. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I've won twice. Um, other guys that work for us, John MacArthur's won a couple of times, Sean Bentley. Um, we've all placed at various times as well throughout the years. But it's just a, a fun, friendly competition out there and, you know, kind of gets us out there and lets the engineers who are typically behind the scenes um, shine where the salespeople in those situations are usually the ones that get the glory. Yeah, very so, cool. Yeah. I have seen a bunch of videos that you have created and posted of, of various topics and um, uh, many of which are, are solid works and, and work related, but they're not, you know, purely work Related, they're not the typical. This is how you make this feature in SolidWorks that that you might see on I don't know resellers' website or some kind of tutorial channel on YouTube. Um, you've done some really interesting projects on that, and and I want to get into that in a second. But first, I wanted to ask: it, it's got to take a lot of time to put these videos together. Is that is it just a labor of love for you, or is this you know part of your role at uh, at Go Engineer? 
Um, so it has evolved to that, but labor of love is always what's behind a lot of these things. Uh, again, I kind of, I make no mistake that I'm fortunate to have a job doing what I like. You know, if everybody could be so fortunate, you wouldn't work a day in your life. And, you know, the job can be stressful and there's pressure at times to get things done. But these are the things that I do when the clock's off. So why not get paid for it as well, you know? And as far as these go, um, I use the software in an effort to flush out what's in my head, um, visualize it for other people who maybe don't see what I'm trying to, to describe with hand puppets and pointing to things in the space. And in and, and the latest video, I was able to work out a very odd positioning and, 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 and random type shape of a fixture that just isn't something that you can just do while you're doing it and have it turn out well. It's really hard to visualize that way. Um, so in some cases, it's just a crutch to, you know, do a sanity check. And in other cases, there's just no other way that I could do this and have the result that I wanted. So SolidWorks is just one of those tools to me that, you know, like, like my customers in industry, of course, they're making a, a living out of this. They're, they're building their projects and they're, they're manufacturing them. They're going out the door and they're ending up at customer sites. Now, I live in a bit of a vacuum as a reseller where I support those efforts, but I really have never manufactured my own product, you know. So that's where I feel that little need in my life to be able to use the 3D printer you got behind me here to, to produce things. Um, but I've been a DIYer forever. So most of what I do is home improvement of one sort or another. So I'll use SolidWorks in those efforts. And early on to me, it was just a, a way to be able to learn the software. We implore to our customers, you get access to the software at home with your corporate license, use it to build your deck or to do something you're intimate with, because you're going to be learning. It's stick time. You're getting better and better just by doing a project that you're, that you're passionate about. So I take my own advice there. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, the, uh, the, the home improvement projects, because yeah. as SolidWorks users in industry anyway, we're all very familiar with how to use the software to develop a widget, right? It's what we do every day. But we might not uh, think about using it for, um, I don't know, construction type projects or these home improvement type projects, but you've done uh, a fair amount of that. Uh, I saw a home renovation that you talked about the deck and there's a tree house and probably other things I haven't even come across. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, using SolidWorks for home improvement projects. And also, since you have gone through this process several times already, what, what are some of the gotchas that we might want to be careful of uh, as, as we get started in that space? Well, for starters, um, the software is called SolidWorks, okay? And, and that is, you know, obviously what we're geared towards. We're geared towards mechanical design of solid components, you know, assemblies, um, testing form, fit, and function, mass properties, and the like. And um, architectural is not what we're, what we're after. It's not what the software's spirit is or the design for it. But there's obviously a big difference between what a software can do and what it was meant to do, right? And over the years of, of growing with the software, one of the advantages of going through and, and, and being tech support for a great number of years is you are forced in a, a little bit of a way to find workarounds, find ways to make the software work on a day where it doesn't want to behave, but your customer needs to get their job done. So we've done a lot of um, not only using the tools for exactly what the features were meant for, but also figuring out other ways to stretch a feature to do something it wasn't necessarily intended to. And that's where things like weldments, which is for structural frame members of special machines, um, can be used for wood structures if that's necessary in your architectural application. Uh, I did a bathroom project where it was very important that the plumbing was where it needed to be. And there obviously there's interference issues inside the walls. Um, but my kitchen project, I really just represented the walls as a four and a half inch thick. You got your studs, you got your um, your wall board, your drywall. And, and that's just a footprint in that case. I didn't need the piece part count of what was in the, the wall. So I use the features in a way, obviously, um, kind of the end goal in mind, if I need a cut list of the items to go purchase those, then I'll do a little bit more effort and make individual piece part. If not, I need to represent something that I know I can just bang out and deal with the details that I'm trying to flush out at that point. It, it seems that you are a family man. You, you, you've got a wife, you've got kids, and there's some videos where you, uh, you work with them on some projects. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you have been able to incorporate your work life with your family life and how you've been able to involve your family with some of these uh, design projects? 
Well, the family almost has no choice but to be involved, and, and from a good way, actually. Um, you know, I know COVID has um, all of us working from home now, or a lot of people working from home now, but I've actually been in this room right here, my home office, uh, since 2007. So, um, you know, going on 14, 15 years now. And I was set up at home because it put me a little bit more centrally located in Michigan. Um, so West Coast and East Coast, um, West Michigan, East Michigan. And it, I was on the road mostly. If I wasn't in the office, I was on a customer site. So it positioned me more strategically to get to places. Um, what it also did is it kind of isolated me from some day-to-day distractions. So working from where I'm at right now, um, working from home is something I've been doing for a long time and, and had to explain to my kids, yeah, look, I'm looking at the screen because I'm working. You're on YouTube. I get a paycheck. <laughs> you're, you're having fun. And so, you know, they've been, they've been in some cases painfully aware that I'm working and other cases just they know what their dad does, um, you know, because I'm enthusiastic to talk about it. And I'm not just trying to talk about anything but work when I'm not working. You know, because that's a sign that you hate work, right? Yeah. Turn it off, leave. And I don't want to think about it again. And I just don't have that life, um, which is, again, fortunate. Um, The content started to build into that, I'm going to say by accident. And, um, you know, being out there in YouTube and and, and those areas, um, there's a couple of influences that actually came into my life that I wasn't expecting. Uh, Back in 2015, our SolidWorks World Conference was in Phoenix, and uh, the SolidWorks uh, technical staff always brings in a guest speaker of sorts. And that year, they brought in a guy named Destin Sandlin. Ever heard of his name? I have not. His, he is smarter every day on YouTube. So he has seven or eight million followers at this point. Um, but he's a guy that's out of the Alabama area. And he is super intelligent with a Southern accent. He says he uses that to his advantage because people don't expect much out of him. <laughs> um, but he works for, um, for, for one of the aerospace companies down there. And he makes videos in such a way that they get very technically heavy. And then they go down to the fifth grade level and talk a little bit about it. And then they get technically heavy again. And then they, they do this evolution to show you the process. And I watched this live presentation that he did of this, which he then culminated in doing this thing called the Prince Rupert's Drop. So you might want to write that one down. Check it out later. It's unreal. Where he clips at the end of this glass that had been solidified by being dropped into a cold bucket of water. And the entire thing shatters at a particular rate that he used a 50,000 frame per second camera in order to show on his videos. Um, since then, he's gotten access to up to 500,000 uh, wow. per second cameras to show some really amazing stuff. But, but his lesson of show your intelligence, but don't talk down to people, bring it to their level and make it relatable. And just those couple of things was all I needed um, to know that, you know that I could do that. His final thing was, was the point of his Southern accent was um, people don't expect much out of him. And it makes, he takes advantage of that by shocking them with how much he knows. Uh, but then again, bringing it down to a relatable level. And the main thing was that there's millions of people out there on YouTube. And of course, there's 48 hours of video going up every minute to YouTube. Be yourself because that's your differentiator. There's lots of stuff on YouTube, but there's only one you. I've been I'm reading a, a business book called Understanding... Oh, I think it's Understanding Porter. He's a business writer, and someone did kind of a, a almost a biography on him because of his. I've never read his his seminal work, but apparently it's very, very, very uh, dense and, and hard to get through. So someone kind of did a condensed version of it. And one of the things that he talks about is uh, you don't need to be number one. People talk about uh, you know we are number one in this or we are number one in that. What you need to do is be unique. Because being number one is a zero-sum game. Only one person can be number one. So it's really, really hard to be number one in something. But Mm. everyone can be unique. There are a plethora of opportunities for you to be unique. And you just said it, you know, be be yourself. That's the way to um, be unique and and be successful. Well, it's like setting unattainable goals. You're never going to hit your goals. Right. And, And don't make them wiffle ball either. But, you know reach and grow, but don't make it something you can't be successful on and then just start the next trek. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go out on a ledge and guess that you are uh, at least to some extent a gadget guy. You, you like or appreciate gadgets. I, I saw uh, a, a drone video that you made. Um, there are probably others. I wondered if you ever, and you're also into 3D printing. 3D sure. printing is something that you love to do. Do you ever make components for any of your gadgets to you know, improve their performance or alter them in some way? 
yeah, I, I wish I had more free time to do that. Yeah. Um, but there are things that I think about like that. And a lot of times these days, if you're not like right on something like that, you can go to GrabCAD or one of those types of sites and you'll find somebody has already done it. Yeah. Um, you know, most times it's like, you know, a SolidWorks model that maybe there's some things I'd want a little bit better. Or it's not quite as clean or you want to change it, but um, it, it's, it's the ability to do that that always excites me. So yeah. I'll customize some things to a point. I am definitely building things that don't exist and printing those because um, there are a lot of, of just repurposing things that I like to do that, you know, I used to walk around Home Depot and try to figure out what I could use to make something happen. You basically have an open-ended way to make something happen with a little modeling time and, you know, uh, a couple of hours of a printer. So um, I, I leave it open-ended and I do that quite often. Absolutely. Yeah. I saw your video where you made um, with some Home Depot parts, a, yeah. an extension at a 90 degree angle to drill mm-hmm. in your, the rooftop on your, your kid's uh, uh, tree house, which was, that was a really cool project. Yeah. Um, necess- necessity is the mother invention. That is, is that the, the phrase? That's the one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and I put it in the video that I never saw it coming because it was a literal moment where you can't script it. You can't stage it. You're just standing there and you just went, oh, gosh, what am I going to do here? And <laughs> and when you're working, you know, 20 feet up, um, 25 at the point of the, the peak of the roof, um, it's it's already unsettling if you're not a tree person, which by the end of that project I was because I had just been going up and down the ladder so often. It felt more comfortable. But the process of creating a tree house was literally building it in the driveway, disassembling it, and then you already had your pilot hole. So putting it back together in the tree was easier. Um, not easy, but easier. Sure. But that the whole thing about wow, I I didn't realize I couldn't reach what I needed to reach as I as I painted myself out of a corner with four by eight sheets of roofing. Um, so that was just one of those things where okay, yeah, I've got a rental place around the corner where I can go ahead and get a tree lift. But the whole point of doing it yourself is not only to try and you know get some satisfaction, but I'm trying to save a little money here too. So I could have done that or I could have used it as an opportunity. And an opportunity is a word that I use often because to me, a lot of times with 3D printers, uh, it isn't about whether I should, it's about whether I can. Um, I have 3D printed fishing lures. I'm going to pull one of these up for a second, one second. These are 3D printed fishing lures that we just did. Now, the goal of these is to actually go ahead and hang some hooks off of these and catch some fish next summer. Um, they've got air chambers on the inside so that they float because this material doesn't float. They're designed 3D, uh, they're designed photorealistic rendered. Um, and they print right that like that off the machine. So, you know, there's things like that that we try to do with these printers in order to go ahead and stretch what they can do, um, of course, to, to, to prove a point or to make something that didn't exist before. That's going to be about a $75 fishing lure. Yeah. Um, an example. Including the time to design it. Yeah, it's $5 to go to the store and get a Rapala. Yeah. Uh, so in this case, it's not that I should, because no, that's not the best <laughs> way to do it, but I can. So yeah. we, made, we made a presentation out of it. We made it how you'd finish this. So you get glossy versus matte surface finishes and how to model your part so you can take advantage of the Stratasys J55 printer. Everything is an advantage, or I'm sorry, an opportunity to, to just kind of see what you can do and then turn it into something. Most of the time, I get into a position where either with the software, because I've been using it for so long, or just kind of in real life, that if I get myself into a corner, I'm kind of like, you know, somebody else has probably been here before. And, you know, I, I just I'll make something that might help somebody else get out of this corner. Um, maybe they didn't see coming. Yep. I love it. Well, you've been working with SolidWorks for so long now that you have all this expertise and experience stored up. What what are a few SolidWorks tools that probably most of us maybe don't know about or that are at least underutilized um, that the average SolidWorks user might find helpful and, and should maybe spend some time learning? So I'll keep it just to, to standard SolidWorks. Um, SolidWorks comes in three different um, versions, which is SolidWorks Standard, Professional, and Premium. But the reality is, is that all of the modeling functionality is in every version of the product. You don't have to pay extra to get sheet metal or weldments or molds or any of that, that stuff. Um, that said, I'll, I'll leave this sort of open-ended in the beginning here, is that I find a lot of people will live in the area of the software that more suits their company and not get outside that. Um, and, and the example that I use uh, for this is you can ask anybody how much of the software they know. They'll say they know 100%. They really know 100% of the 10% they're aware of. 
you know, think of how much you know about Microsoft Excel, how vast it really is. Right. So things like, you know, a, a customer who uses mechanical design, they're, they're making special machines, prismatic parts, purchase parts, that kind of thing. Well, they don't know that they need to know surfacing because they don't make those kinds of parts. They don't make organic shapes and, and, and you know, um, Bezier curves and things like that. However, surfacing isn't just for modeling. It's for repairing bad imported parts, patching things that were garbage, using them to cut what's eventually going to be a solid part for maybe some sort of form or shoe or a fixture or something. Um, knowing other parts of the software that aren't necessarily particularly germane to your, to your job description um, is what makes you a little bit more deadlier in those gnarly situations that will come up. The product though, I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing tool in the fact that you know, over the 20 years, first of all, price-wise, we haven't raised the price of Salwork standard since I started. Even with inflation, it's still always been the same base price. Um, but these three-hour presentations we do every year, we're adding 250 new things to it. So the, the growth has been tremendous, uh, and it still continues to be that way. So even if you're just using the tools you use every year, there's, you know, a handful of great new things that have been added in based on customer requests um, that a lot of people don't know about unless they attend a what's new presentation or watch one of our rollouts in October. So if you're on the software and you're not looking at what's new, then there's things there that you're just simply not aware of that are either improvements to the stuff you've been using all along or are brand new things that either make the technique you were using kind of obsolete or um, is a purpose built tool versus a way that you've figured out how to do something, you know, that's been added to the tool. So, you know, the answer to that really is it's kind of different to everybody. Um, you know, based on what their needs are or what they already know. Here's a, a similar question, but how about any plugins or add-ons? Or are there any in particular that that you have seen and found to be particularly interesting or useful? So the modeling tool is 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 capable of making anything. Let's just leave that open ended. It really is down to a user's imagination uh, and maybe the time they have to throw at something. And what the add-ins do, what, what, what some of our solution partners do in a lot of cases, is they automate the existing functionality in order to, to do a process. Um, early on, add-ins were for things we didn't do at all and still don't do at all. Things like simulation, FEA, um, CAM. You know, those are things that are not necessarily a modeling function, but they're definitely something that needs to work on the models. And that's why we chose to, to embed those directly in SolidWorks. But it's things like like some of the products here. And I'll, I'll kind of be brand um, nonspecific because we don't represent all of these. Uh, but some of the tools that you can add into SolidWorks enhance the surfacing functionalities. They, they treat it more like a, like a sub-D type of a modeler, um, which is something SolidWorks doesn't do. But it creates SolidWorks geometry using these algorithms and, and the functionality that they've created to, um, to maybe enhance SolidWorks capabilities. Um, there are, are steel products, products that will put in the appropriate connections, fittings, plates, cross-drilled holes, number of, of physical fasteners necessary for I-beams and joints and floors that come together. Now, in SolidWorks, I make those using weldments and I make the structural steel, but the smarts that go into the connection isn't necessarily something you have automatically in the software. Um, tools that automate that process will use rules-based engineering to then fill in the blanks and add the plates, the necessary weld, the necessary fasteners based on sizes and heights and other criteria. Um, so those are the things that will take people's capabilities and really amplify them to the next level. So one last one I will put out here, just kind of an open-ended one, um, a product we do represent here at Go Engineer is called DriveWorks. And DriveWorks literally is knowledge-based engineering. So everybody's open-ended process, we go through the, the function of, of capturing what rules are important to them, um, building a user interface around it so that anybody can go in and fill out pull-down menus or, or input boxes. And then from there, hit go, and it will spit out designs that are configured to those particular parameters. Um, those are the ones that really take the software and just absolutely put it on steroids in order to recreate one-offs using these, these really great methods. That's interesting. I hadn't heard of DriveWorks. Is there um, a website or somewhere that people can go to see all the different add-ons that SolidWorks has? Uh, you know, for our website, you just go to goengineer.com and you'll see the, the bar across the top. All of our partners will be there. Um, you can also hit SolidWorks.com and hit the solution partner page, and that will be the global list. Got uh, it. Of, okay. of, of, um, we call uh, solution partners and gold solution partners. There's a slight yeah. difference between the two. Um, but there are around 300 products that either work inside of SolidWorks, accept native data from SolidWorks, or have some sort of handshake 
um, development that that it goes in hand in hand with it. Nice. Um, I, I've always thought of SolidWorks or just CAD in general, really, as a tool to translate design as opposed to design itself. You know, CAD itself is not design. Design is um, is it's what what's in your head and what's in your heart. And CAD is just kind of a tool for communicating that design with others, especially manufacturing. Do you have any any insight into things that uh, Dassault is doing in the future to improve the efficiency with which CAD helps us communicate design? Um, years ago, we coined a term, and I don't know if we coined it. We just started saying it an awful lot. But was the, the term used now called designing engineer? Um, back in the day, this this you know range when I uh, went to Ford with my brother, um, there were designers and there were engineers. Okay. And what would happen is a designer would sit at the CAD system and an engineer would stand over their shoulder and tell them what to do while they were the CAD jockey. And obviously it gets to the point where you now have two people doing one job and they started to, to meld those together. When you get finite element analysis on your CAD model, now you've got an engineer doing, you know, doing um, simulation on a model. So it's kind of starting to be the same person in some cases. So we've gone to the point where the CAD model is the center of the universe and it feeds every other area of every um, company. So when it comes to who's next in line, it could be marketing who could use the CAD data to create collateral. It's sales who obviously needs it to sell things, manufacturing, the guys over in quality assurance and have to do inspection, the guys that are doing CAM tool paths, um, all of these things are connected together and the CAD model is the center of the universe with those. So where we're taking things these days is, um, you know, in a lot of efforts to streamline the process and make things accurate, which is kind of like everyday process, we're getting more and more, um, I guess, virtualized when it comes to where the data lives. And we're starting to remove some of the other things like drawings from the equation. Now, customers are going to have to change uh, at their own pace, and it's going to be decades for this to happen. But progressive users right now are eliminating drawings from the process altogether and sticking only with 3D parts and assemblies. Oh, interesting. And the reason is, is because, you know, we've had 2D drawings since the drafting board and, and prior. And when we got these nifty 3D CAD systems, we modeled up these great accurate 3D parts and we shove them together in an assembly and see if they can fit and move and collide. And then we go to old standby and we drop it on a 2D drawing and we detail it out hand that drawing to somebody and then hope that they reinterpret it properly to make the 3d part we already had. Uh, we started yeah. there. Yeah. So not only do we have another document to manage, we have associativity and changeability that has to be handshake, you know, between those. Um, we're finding that a lot of bad file management practices are, are disconnecting even the associativity that every CAD product has. And we're still ending up with inaccurate drawings. So it's a lot of extra overhead for almost no benefit. And in most cases um, it can come back to bite you. So the pushes over the last um, decade or so, and it's again going to take a while, is a lot of companies are scrapping drawings and they're going to the model-based definition paradigm. So they're starting to annotate a solid body after the fact. And what that does is it adds these PMI or product manufacturing annotations to a part that was modeled. It could be 100 different feature trees with 100 different dimensions and sketches and, and features there. Um, but at the end of the day, the geometry that's final would be annotated the same way. So instead of relying on feature and sketch dimensions to make your drawings, we're just going to scheme the part out like we would on a 2D drawing anyways, but we do it in the 3D part or assembly and skip the drawing. And there will be ways to add tolerances and uh, surface finish callouts and materials and colors and all it, that. It's, it's fully production level annotated, but what it does is, is, is it gives you a 3D assembly or a part, and then along the bottom, it'll have a bunch of saved views which will give you front view, top view, oh. right view, section view, flattened sheet metal view, whatever those happen to be, exploded view. And it will show you the annotations on screen that are important to those orientations. So it is the 2D drawing view display, but we're doing it in the 3D file and skipping that extra piece of overhead. And that will, of course, require manufacturers to adopt the same sure. process, which, like you said, it, it could take decades for that to become the well, norm. Right. And it's places like, like SpaceX and Tesla are two examples I use because they use Katia and they don't make drawings. Oh, and our customers are receiving either CATIA native part files with PMI on them, which we can read and use, um, or they're receiving STEP AP242 files, which also supports those 3D annotations. That's the, the, the standard that's not just geometric. It also has the okay. PMI elements. And, and there are these things that we call semantic annotations. So when you click them, it highlights the faces that they're attached to. 
So the neutral black box file is a step file, which anybody can open up and they can machine to if they wanted to, but it also contains those annotations. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who's opening it or who's using it. It's a universal there as well. So So, tools like Mastercam and, you know, other similar tools, are those being developed to accommodate the, did you call it PMI? Very much, yes. Okay. Yeah. So Mastercam, SolidWorks Cam, those products are are using those annotations in an effort to do things that we call um, tolerance-based machining. So again, you have a generic body. We'll just call it generic because it works on either native SolidWorks files or imported data. Wouldn't matter. Um, and those are built to a nominal size, right? So if you machine off of that, the tolerances are numerical, but there's no physical shift to the geometry on screen. That's just how CAD works. What what these annotations do is it allows you to put in, say, a dimension between two holes and throw a tolerance on that. And then SOLIDWORKS CAM picks that up and uses that as the plus and minus of the machine toolpath. So it's not a feature dimension. It's not a sketch dimension. It's an applied dimension after the fact that triggers that tolerance-based machining. So we're getting away from a lot of the things where translation is necessary. We have the one black box file, if not native files that support it. Um, and it eliminates that extra drawing, which is just more things to do. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. a terrific answer. I did not uh, see that coming. Uh, there's a, a member of our team that he's really into, or he, he has suggested anyway, that we explore, uh, uh, I think it's Dimension Expert, where uh, I think that kind yeah. of takes you in that towards that direction. Yeah, um, Dim, Dim Expert applies the dimensions, and then SolidWorks model-based definition is an add-in you have to purchase if you want to publish that out, which a PDF... 3D PDF with rotatable views and an embedded step file is the ultimate result. Okay. Anybody with a computer can read a PDF and that's really the idea. Well, we spend, I mean, on on a typical design, if it's an R&D project where we're going through 100 iterations, that's a different story. But on a typical design where it's pretty clear what we're developing and we just have to go from A to B, uh, we spend probably 40% of the design time doing drawing. So if we spend 100 hours designing something, we're probably going to spend another 40 hours putting together a detailed drawing package that we send to the uh, the manufacturer along with the 3D CAD. So that's that's a huge time savings if you can get away from having to put together those 2D drawing packages. We used to ask customers when we would go in and talk to them, especially when they were making a a CAD change. But um, in general, if the customer ever used those 2D drawings that were a necessary check mark of the project, because I would walk into a conference room of a customer who would make large um, test assembly lines for transmissions, right? They'd have 20 different stages that do different things. And when you look at this thing printed out on plotter paper on the wall, it's just spaghetti. I don't know how anybody makes heads or tails of any of it, but it was 100% required for that to be part of the deliverable package. And if you kind of go up the chain and ask them, it almost never gets opened on the other end. It's just like old habits that we, oh, we have always done this before. So let's keep doing it. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's it. And, you know, it, it's, it's something that people will hold on to dearly because it's what's worked. You know, obviously yep. it's what's got us through to this point. Yep, exactly. Eventually yeah. somebody will go, you know, I'm kind of fed up with this. There's got to be a better way. And they start to look and <laughs> you know, it'll take a while, but it will. Well, yeah. what, what are um, a couple, two or three of the most common support requests that you get and how can people avoid even getting into the situations where they need support for these two or three things? Well, unfortunately support departments exist because, because it's inevitable. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I, I hear a lot of people complain about everywhere and, you know, it, and it doesn't matter what it is. Um, the fact that every, every technological company in the world has a software support department because of the inevitable fact that there will be bugs And, you know, a lot of what we see these days, um, you know, and it's difficult is installation issues and installation is, is the biggest moving target you're ever going to see because it can't just say it works on windows 10. It works on windows 10 with everybody's infinite different configuration of other software already loaded on the machines, um, potentially redistributables or, 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 or things that are shared resources are either configured differently or with different versions. It is inevitable that you're going to, come up with some problem that could be related to hardware. Um, it just kind of is what it is. Now we have great, you know, people already um, able to be accessed very quickly through live sessions like this. Um, we found that obviously taking control of a computer and watching somebody do something that's recreatable or testing it on their hardware is absolutely essential to diagnosing something. 
Um, but you'll you'll get these issues where we have to start with the video cards. Always the video card, first thing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the video card on the right driver, the whole computer might be flaky as a result of that. So if you know the video card driver is not right, you start there. And then if things continue, then you continue down the rabbit hole. Um, but but support is always a case of CSI. It, you have a crime scene, you don't know how it got there, but now you have to figure it out and then clean it up too. And it, it, it's fun to do. Um, it's also stressful, especially when there's a, a, a time-based project for the customer, which is always. Um, but, but installation issues invariably are going to be something that's, that's always a problem. Uh, those are things that we hope people will at least let us know ahead of time or schedule over the weekend or with us and we can help with those. But, but those, we try to head off as many things as we can by, by teeing people up with the right checklists and things. Um, but invariably, something's going to happen that way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I read about the SolidWorks Entrepreneur Program, which was another thing I didn't even realize existed. Can, can you talk just a little bit about that? So trying to get the software out is is like the future for us. It always has been. And and you start at education level because once you get a kid interested in something, they're going to love that forever. And and obviously if I had used SolidWorks in high school, I would have been looking for a college that had it and I would have been maybe, you know, looking for a job after that. Yeah. I didn't have SolidWorks in college and look back and really wish I would have. Um, you know, obviously. So that's not something that that's available. Um, but getting it into schools was the first thing uh, about that because of, again, the, the way a, a person will progress there. Entrepreneurs are, are companies that obviously has lim- have limited resources but have some sort of drive and, and, and a product in mind. And there's a bunch of criteria that they do have to meet in order to get the software. Um, but it's basically gifting them the software for a period of time. And then once they come out of entrepreneurship and go live, then there's going to be some sort of payment to that. But we're trying to tool them up with the things that they are going to need um, to make their company successful. In, in our case, hopefully at an effort that they will be successful and then, then we will make some money off of that. Um, we do that a lot at Go Engineer just in general, that if, if a person is successful or if we help a customer a little bit better and just make them better, they'll just buy more software. So if we start with them, it's invariably going to come back at us. Yeah. Um, but entrepreneurship is, is, is a big deal because there was a time in life where if you had an idea... You invested your life savings into making tooling and getting a prototype and then hopefully walking into a conference room with a company and having them as passionate as you are about it. Today, with a $4,000 piece of software, I can basically design, test, make renderings, make sure form, fit, and function is set, um, a little more money, I can make tool paths, 3D print them and have them in their hand. And I'm out that much money if my invention doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. And, and, and entrepreneurship really kind of exemplifies that. You know, we have an idea. Um, we don't know how to get there. We need the tools to get there. And SolidWorks will, will help them get there. We just uh, want to be on board after they're successful. And if people just Google uh, SolidWorks Entrepreneur Program, they'll pull up the right page. It would be, yep. Or GoEngineer.com. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, yeah. speaking of GoEngineer, um, you, you've worked there now. Well, I guess technically you've worked at the same company for the past, you know, 25 years or so. And uh, the name has changed a few times. I guess they've been acquired and, and currently it's GoEngineer. Um, you, you talked a little bit about the incredible culture at GoEngineer and how you love working there um, because of this this culture that the company has fostered. Tell us a little bit about that culture. What is it that GoEngineer has done to make the workplace such a, a joyful place that people love working in? Yeah, it's um, this will be a weird word to use, but it is bizarre how fun it is to be here. Um, the company prior to being acquired, um, we had fun. And, and we were a family and we'd known each other, obviously, for a couple of decades at that point and before any of us were married and had kids. And now we're all very much beyond that. Um, uh, August of last year now, so a year and a half, um, sorry, the year before, uh, August 2019, uh, Go Engineer bought us. And, and, and at that point, it was a bit of a shock because there was no writing on the wall. Legally, there couldn't have been any writing on the wall. Um, so only the, the powers that be knew that. Um, but what eventually or inevitably was understood about the whole situation is that um, my previous owners really wanted to make sure that we were as well taken care of as possible. And uh, we were family. Um, Obviously we had been there again for births of each other's kids. And the offer from Ken Coburn at Go Engineer was one of those things where they knew that they would be handing us off to the best possible steward. And what we have found 
is that um, after a couple of weeks of stress of my lifelong career now being purchased out from under me and trying to, to understand what my future looked like, um, the retrospect on this is that after those two weeks of, of unknowing, uh, you know, knowing what the future was going to hold, um, once I kind of understood that, I was a convert from the beginning and, and it's been the best thing ever. And really to kind of bottle it up, um, the culture at Go Engineer is, is really one of productivity. Um, the people here produce content. We make things happen. We are, are doing activities. Our sales are the best. We are number one in Stratasys, number one in SolidWorks in the world. And that's a, a no small task. Um, and it was a bit intimidating when I first saw the way the culture looked live. But what, it, what makes the culture happen is we lift each other up. We don't get ahead by making ourselves smarter, not somebody else. If I know something and I can help other people learn that, we all grow collectively. And it, it really is about lifting each other up. Um, we have a phrase here that basically is, is productivity is the currency of freedom. And if you're kicking out good content or you're making good demos or you're doing great training, nobody bugs you. They don't want to micromanage you. Nobody, nobody, we are hired to do a job and we are a group of amazing professionals and nobody at the top has time to micromanage anybody nor the desire. And it really allows you to know that you're in this company and that your livelihood is in the hands of other like-minded people. And, you know, if you don't fit the culture, you'll, you'll, you'll probably figure that out quickly. Um, but frankly, if you don't fit the culture, that means that you're not just a happy person who loves what they do. And, and if you're not that person, I don't know what else I can do for you. But this place, it's, it's interesting, the collaborative nature. Um, I've never experienced such a collaborative nature between people. And again, the willingness um, to go out of their way to help each other really is an amazing place. Was the phrase you used, uh, productivity is the currency of freedom? Is that what you said? I love that. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, we we all do a different job, um, which is the other key to this place. Um, application engineers like myself, we don't all have the exact same tasks, responsibilities and expectations. They're tweaked based on our interests. They're tweaked based on our skills. And there are, frankly, people at this company that enjoy doing the things that I don't like doing. And I like doing the things that a lot of people don't. And it really works out to the point where our owners and our leadership team realize that happy people are productive people. We're all very happy. And if you just treat everybody slightly different so that you can massage their expectations to what suits them better, then you're just going to get a better product out. And that is better for everybody. So all we do is just be ourselves. We do great work and we just get together and talk about how awesome what everybody else is doing too. Okay, I have to push back a little bit here because this this all sounds um, wonderful, right? Like you know, a fairy tale work environment here, but that doesn't just happen. There are happen. things that people need to do to cultivate that type of environment. What what are some of those things? So the chronology of my acquisition. I'll go back just a little bit here. It'll, I'll, I'll circle back to the actual answer. Um, we were purchased August of 19, uh, or sorry, 2019, three weeks later, 60 of us from Michigan, Indiana, um, you know, Ohio and Missouri area were on airplanes to Utah to go to something called go university, which is the company's yearly corporate, um, get together. So we were purchased, we had signed offer sheets. And then about eight days after that, 60 of us, no small effort. Financial yeah, effort. Expense. We're now staying with the other 225 people at a resort in Park City, Utah to wow. do a five day get together about being with family, enjoying each other, learning each other, talking about your kids and not really talking about work and just kind of getting together. And it's something that Go Engineer has been doing for five years because the owners know that regardless of the expense, it is so necessary to get us together face to face as a team to be able to to learn more about each other and who you're helping and who we're really doing this for. Um, Fascinating. So was. The, Absolutely. the Go University wasn't necessarily, we're going to bring you in and, and train you on how to do Go Engineer. No. We're going to bring you in and you're going to basically have a little vacation. Right. But, Go pure, but, but pure timing because of the acquisition being August 1st and Go University being August 18th, um, they scrambled to get us out there because flights and hotel rooms in yeah. this place were, were expensive and, and, and just, again, the time of it. Um, 
But to me, it was the olive branch that said, we just bought you guys and we're so invested in this that we need you to come on out here and just meet everybody. And then we did take some breakouts for the newly acquired people to figure out the pay, um, the pay system and the time off system and health system. And we did these things. And for us, it was a drinking from the fire hose, learning everything we didn't needed to do to assimilate in the first month that we were acquired. And then from there, it's been smooth sailing as if there was no bumps in the road with any type of integration and acquisition. I love Unreal. it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Unreal. Um, during that, by the way, and, 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 and I noticed the skepticism coming from you. Um, <laughs> the good engineer. Uh, I, right? I, I went there 100% skeptical. I'm like, okay. I hear you. I hear you, but I need to see this uh, and I'm hoping, but I need to see this. Sure. And I would have conversations in little pockets or with individuals and I would look for the chink in the armor and man, it just wasn't there. It just wasn't there. There, there was no, okay, what's the rub? Okay. This is great. Yeah. But what do I have to give up because of this coolness? And they're just like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> That's just how it is. Now we're a year and a half later. I still don't have the chink in the wow. armor. It's, it really is shockingly the way it should be. And it's simple. Um, and it really started with our business development team and our inside sales guys, um, Tyler Hagen and, and Brian McCracken. They're the guys that kind of bring the new people into the company and they show them this lift each other up type of feeling. And then it just spreads like a good virus from there. And early in the company, people would then transition into support or out in the field or this or that. So it would start to spread. Wow. Well, that feeling was already well inside the company when they brought us in. So it was just like a, a, an indoctrination when we went to go you and we got to see it live and it was shockingly real. And, you know, again, we, we might have to do a whole other episode just about go you and the culture at go engineer. That sounds amazing. Yeah. We had to do it virtually this year, of course, which was, uh, you know, one of the top five um, disappointments of my year from COVID. Sure. Uh, yeah. Because there was a bunch of us that when acquired couldn't go because of schedules. We already had things on the calendar and I really wanted the rest of the staff to see this. Um, but we're, we're going to try and do it this year. Hopefully if things work out August again this year, we might be able to Fingers to get crossed. Lost. Yeah. Yeah. But it is pretty amazing. Pretty That's amazing. awesome. Well, Darren, thank you so much for spending your time uh, with me today. This has been incredible. Um, I love all the things that you've shared. Uh, how, how can people get a hold of you? Um, you know, through email is very easy. You can go to the Go Engineer website actually and find me there. But um, dgrocer at goengineer.com. You can also find me out there on uh, um, Twitter is a place I'm available. That's going to be Go With Darren. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm just Darren Grosser. So those are a few of the places that I frequent out there as well. Um, but on YouTube, hit Go Engineer on YouTube channel. We are, again, we're building content fast and furious. There's literally three to four content pieces per day coming out wow. of Go Engineer. Per day, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing about one every couple of weeks because my production quality, I kind of put a little bit more into it and some deep diving in this and that. But, um, but from the team, uh, the, you asked a question earlier that I never did answer, and that was, um, you know, doing these kinds of things with the blessing of the company or, or, or elsewise. When I started, I was kind of doing them as my own pet projects. Um, I wanted to learn Premiere or video editing and just kind of played with it. And that spark from Destin Sandlin, Smarter Every Day there was, was got, what got me started. Um, some of the technical people at SolidWorks showed me a little bit of video editing and they proved that I could do, you know, a little bit of mixing, a video track with a secondary audio is what I learned. And I, that demystified that. Mm. Well, when Go Engineer bought us, they sat me down in that room and this was the moment. They said, okay, what do you like about your job? And I told them, I like to do this. I like to see customers. I like to make content. What don't you like about your job? I don't like doing PDM implementations. I don't like doing tech support. I, you know, these things are stressful for me because they're customers data and it's real. Two days later, they sat down and slid me a piece of paper and says, okay, we want you to do all the things you like and we don't want you to do the things you don't like. Whoa, that's incredible. And I said, where do I sign? Done. Because, yeah. because because content is fun for me, but content under the blessings of my, of my leadership team that right. they want it and crave it, man, it's just, it's the best because now I can do it free and, you know, creative things are better when your mind is, is, uh, is liberated. And yeah, that's a big they, deal. They, it's part of the culture is, is that this stuff is beneficial. It's great for our customers. It gets the word out there and we want you to make it. Those were just more music to my ears. And, and to know that the company was really listening to what you were saying and then acted on it, that, that must have been huge for you. That was it. I got on a plane happy, looking for the for the chink in the armor that didn't appear. And <laughs> and, uh, and and yeah, happily ever after, I, I've never said it more intensely than I do these days. But wow. um, but it, it, it was a needed shot in the arm at a point in my career where I was kind of getting stale mm -hmm. and, and really needed something enthusiastic to happen. And man, 
when you least expect it, the most traumatic thing turns out to be what you needed. And that's where I'm at today. I, I also think it's educational that, um, at least in part, this opportunity arose out of your own personal curiosity. You mm-hmm. were making these videos on your own because it was fun for you. You're curious about doing that. And so you explored it. And and then that grew into something that now you get to do as a, a um, formal part of your role at, at your job. A little like model mania. There's a competition now at SolidWorks World that's been going for the last five years, which is this this digital um, content challenge. And the first year it happened, I kind of made a nice video. I got 10th place. Um, but for the last three years, I have won it. I'm going for four Pete this year um, for North America and twice in a row, I'm going for three times for the world now. So, wow. um, so, the, house, or so the, the home renovation video is my entry this year. And it, again, it was it was for a competition on my own, kind of, you know, not sanctioned work, but I did it on my own hundreds of hours. And again, labor of love. This time, I didn't do it on my own time. I did it on a company's blessed time and I still was able to give them product and 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 enjoy what I did. And it really is an, an amazing time to, uh, to do my job. Yeah. You know? Well, congratulations. Great. I'm so happy that you, you found this position there. Me too. Absolutely. Well, Darren, is there anything else that we should talk about before ending the podcast? You know, I, I think we covered a lot here and I'm, I, I we should get together probably again in another year because things change so yeah. often, you know, and I know you talked to one of my other colleagues and, and he sees things from a different perspective. And that's great because we are a collection of all the people that make this company. And it really, um, to us, the acquisition took pressure off of a lot of us because we ended up having a lot more people that were good like us instead of being a few people. We were lots of people that were were very skilled and, and uh, you know, it, it really has made um, the last year and a half and then looking forward, one of those things that I really look forward to because... Um, we just have so many resources doing so many great things that we can all focus on our own little things and collectively, you know, um, add, add quality and, and the value added that our, our customers desire. So, so great. So great. Well, Darren, uh, thanks again for being with us. This has been incredible. Uh, really appreciate your time. Right on. Thanks. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of pipeline design and engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. It really helps other people find the show. To learn how your engineering team can leverage our team's expertise in developing turnkey custom test fixtures, automated equipment, and product design, visit us at testfixturedesign.com. Thanks for listening.